0: This is episode number 155 with Teal Swan. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy. Healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Today's podcast is brought to you by the brand new certification program created by My Health Guru, and one of my all-time favorite humans on the planet, Dr. Stephen Cabral, naturopathic, functional medicine, and Ayurvedic doctor. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I am obsessed with a Dr. Cabral for many reasons. Firstly, he literally saved Nick's life. And secondly, I love his holistic whole-body, individualized approach to health and healing, which includes the essential Ayurveda, which is why he is the most featured person on my podcast. So if you are a wellness junkie like me, you are not going to want to miss his brand new program, the Integrative Health Practitioner Certification. This is the first-of-a-kind program that fuses ancient Ayurveda wisdom and prioritizes whole-body holistic healing. It very carefully takes into consideration that everyone is extremely different with different body types, so there is no one-size-fits-all approach here. His approach is about understanding that the body seeks equilibrium. So his program is about bringing your body back into balance as quickly as possible. This program is so in-depth and insightful, I've never seen anything quite like it. It will arm you with everything you need to know to take your own health seriously to the next level. And you can even choose to become a certified integrative health coach practitioner, so that you can help other people achieve amazing health and earn great money doing it. This program is for anyone who wants to take their health and their family's health and healing to the next level. Trust me, I have seen it firsthand when Nick went from struggling after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars over many years and just not being able to get the answers or support he needed, to now being in the best shape of his life with unstoppable energy and a sense of balance and calm that is truly inspiring. It's also for anyone who is already in the health and wellness field and wants to uplevel their knowledge and skills, or for anyone who wants an entirely new career as a certified integrative health practitioner. Every module is taken directly from Dr. Cabral's private practice. So you get the exact handouts and protocols that he used with over 250,000 client consults. It's all online and you can go at your own pace, which is awesome. This program has got me seriously excited. Head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Cabral. That's C-A-B-R-A-L, to check out all the details on this epic program and take control of your health and future today. Teal Swan is the catalyst for personal transformation and is ranked 27th on the Watkins' Most Spiritually Influential Living People in 2018. As a renowned author, speaker, and social media star, she travels the world teaching self-development and teaching people how to transform their emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual pain. Over the past six years, she has created a library of hundreds of free, powerful self-help and self-development videos on YouTube with over 60 million views to date wow. And she has a new segment called Ask Teal, which is released every Saturday, all of which developed as a result of her life experience. She is the author of three books, which have been published globally in a number of languages. And with her new book, The Anatomy of Loneliness is out right now, which we are very excited about. And in today's episode, we chat about How she got the title, a catalyst for personal transformation. Her story and her extrasensory abilities. How to unlock your inner clairvoyant. How to tap into your emotions for inner transformation. Why you need to feel your emotions for transformation. Her process to release your emotions, feelings, and past pain. What is shame deflection? how to heal your inner child and childhood trauma, the truth about your triggers, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 155. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this beautiful five-star review from Rebecca Munro is titled Life Changing. And she says, I began listening to Melissa's podcast over a year ago and more recently read her first book. As cliche as it sounds, her insights have quite literally changed my life. This podcast is full of intelligent and informative conversations that is useful for those wanting to make the change in their life. Thank you, Melissa, for educating us. I'm a better person today because of your teachings. Please don't stop. Don't worry, Rebecca, I won't. And thank you so much for that beautiful review. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave your review now. And without further ado, let's dive into this life-changing episode with the one and only Teal Swan. Welcome, Teal. It is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, gosh.
1: What I had for breakfast this morning was a green shake. I'm sort of obsessed with this Warrior Force stuff. It's like the most intense green powder you can possibly add to a smoothie. So I put that in some bananas and almond milk.
0: Mm, sounds good. I would love to try that. And I, I guess it's set you up for the day, has it? No.
1: <laughs> I forgot to eat halfway through the day after that. And so now I'm, you know, more hungry than I should be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, I'm so excited for our conversation, and you are known as a catalyst for personal transformation. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today and how you got this title?
1: Oh, goodness. All right. So my story of how I got to this position starts a long, long, long time ago. I was born on this planet with extra senses. So I'm not just seeing the physical 3D dimensional reality. I'm also seeing like a blend of the other dimensional reality. So I'm the kind of person who's talking about auras, talking about dead people, talking about guides. And it didn't go well, to put it mildly, because my parents hadn't come into a spiritual family, I came into a scientific family, and so they didn't know what to do with any of this. And unfortunately, also, my parents lived in a very religious town. They themselves weren't religious, but they were in a Mormon town and rural LDS. So in that type of a community is this belief that the kinds of abilities that I had are a gift of priesthood, but priesthood only belong to men. So if a woman or a little girl is exhibiting the, the traits, it's a gift of the devil. So I was an outcast of society, and based on that type of stuff that I was doing, I caught on the radar of a person in the community who was a loose friend of the families, who wanted to induct me into a cult based off of my capacities and use them for his own devices. So for about 13 years, I had a mentor that my parents entrusted me to, was actually causing a lot of the issues with me that he said he was healing. And so actually, I started off my life in the spiritual work being a person who accesses other dimensional information. So when I escaped at 19, after 13 years of very horrendous abuse that I incurred under this man, and with the groups that he's affiliated with, I wanted nothing to do with spirituality at all, and went into professional sports. But as the universe tends to do, it led me into a space where there was no way for me to personally expand unless I kind of reowned that aspect. It's almost like if you're running away from a part of yourself, you're always going to keep running into a wall. So I was running into that wall, running into a wall, and I was like, "All right, I've got to. I have to just accept this as the reality, and it's not going away because my abilities. It's not like a, it's not a mind's eye thing. That's what people don't understand about extrasensory people. It's not like an intuition. I mean, you're you're literally walking around almost like you're in a waking hallucination state." You know, because it's like you're physically seeing auras. You're actually physically seeing the fact that there is no solid structure in today's world. Everything's just energy blending into one another. So I went back in the direction of that. And to my complete surprise, this was like my jam. I mean, it was crazy. I'd be working with a person one on one and I would look at the clock and realize that like four or six hours had gone by and I didn't even notice. So when things started to change for those people for the better, I started to think, you know, maybe, maybe actually I could do something positive for people and for the world. And it was then that really things shifted for me because I hated life up to that point. Like I really didn't feel like I belonged here. I didn't have a place here. I didn't want to be on this planet. And I realized, you know, why not just Try to do something positive. Maybe that's my whole point for being here. Maybe I wasn't meant to fit in because if I fit in, I wouldn't be changing the structures here. And some of us are just game changers. So I really embrace that idea. For the answer about why I got this nickname of the catalyst is because I had this little reputation for being pretty much the opposite of spiritual Novocaine. I still have that reputation. People love it and people hate it. Where, you know, instead of being like a super inspirational speaker where you go and you sit down and somebody tells you you can do it and your life is awesome and you feel good for a day and then you're back to the same stuff the next day, like I would say things that would completely catalyze a shift within a person so that oftentimes, you know, their life collapsed so that what could be built in the place of their life collapsing is like a way more authentic and better feeling life. But as we all know, like genuine healing doesn't always feel good. So people started referring to me as the catalyst.
0: So, what age were you when you first discovered you had these abilities?
1: Well, I was about four yeah about four years old to five years old when it really set in that i that I was like this because of the reaction that I was getting i mean if you if you're born this way, this is the only way you know to be just like every little kid, you're not thinking that your perception's different from everybody else, but when I'm like walking up to my kindergarten teacher talking about what her dead father is saying, and the reaction she gives is Whoa. this look of total hair like horror then you start to realize I may be, you know, in a different space or perceiving different things than other people are perceiving. So it was that point.
0: Do we all
1: have these types of abilities? Well, I've been thinking about this a lot because I have to believe in people's capacity to see beyond the physical dimension. You know, so I believe that people can develop abilities, but I'm a rare case and that my abilities are actually more of a disability that enables me to have a, a different way of seeing the world. So Not all people are born in the same way that I was born. I opted into a bunch of conditions that actually disabled my filter. So the way to describe it is almost like this physical time space reality that you're living in that we call life on earth, it's almost like you're plugging into with all of your perceptions, you're plugging into a very specific computer game. So it's almost like if you're playing a a video game, right? If you could become the avatar in that video game, but forget the person sitting on the couch. That's what most people are doing. But there's a, there's like your brain, there's a portion of your brain that enables that. Enables you to completely plug into the the 3D reality, and mine was disabled. So, what is a disability makes it so that I can see a multi dimensional reality. It's and that actually that part of your brain is also what is disabled when you're taking shamanic medicines. And
0: do you see this all of the time? Like, are you yeah, all the time seeing auras all the time? All the time,
1: like absolutely <sighs> all the time. Life is. Can you ever difficult. turn like? Do you ever turn it off? No, actually, I can't. Trust me. For like, for like a good chunk of my life, I all I did was go to person to person, to person to try to get them to tell me how to shut it off. Because that's there's that philosophy out there. Like you can learn to turn it on and turn it off. Actually, that's not the case any more than you can turn on and turn off paralysis. You know. So I, I sort of and I realized I was doing that out of resistance. I was resisting who I was, and so my life really started turning around for the positive when I stopped trying to shut it off and just embraced that this was my life and I was going to have to organize my life around it instead. And I can imagine
0: at times it's felt very frustrating for you, but then it's also been incredibly amazing. So, how can we tap into more of that within ourselves? Like, can we unlock our inner clairvoyant? You know, can we tap into these abilities within ourselves and really tune into them more? Or is it just something you're born with?
1: I think that people can do it. I think I'm the worst person in the world to come to for that kind of teaching, though, to tell you the honest truth. You know, it's like, I would hope that if somebody has a natural talent, you would go to somebody else to learn how to run. Like, some of you may know Usain Bolt, right? He's somebody you can just like, I mean, the way he runs is incredible. Now, if somebody's got a talent like that, they may not be able to tell you how to do it because they never had to struggle with it. So... This is one of those moments that I'm like literally going to say, I think there are probably other spiritual teachers in the world who could be actually better at teaching people how to tap into those types of, of things. I've never had to try. So, I mean, I've got my perspective on it and I can give that to you, but I, I just really don't think I'm the best one to go to for that type of question.
0: Yeah. Share your perspective.
1: Okay. My perspective is that the more tapped into your emotions you are, the closer you get You know, the capacity to perceive beyond your current limitations. Most of us, when we come into this time-space reality, our emotions are actually the greatest tie we have to the multidimensional reality. For example, let's say that that there are life path potentials. If you get in this car, you're going to get in a car wreck. Our emotions can go where our physical mind can't go. So the mind, let's say, of the average person, can't see those life path potentials, but the emotions can. So they're the ones that are going to be like, don't get in the car, you know? And we have lived our whole lives turning against our emotions and being sort of overriding them constantly so the information that we're perceiving from the greater universe can't translate through our emotional field so i feel like if one of the greatest way for people to actually get into this multi-dimensional awareness is actually by re-tapping into their emotions and making it so that they they're so tapped into their emotions that they start to perceive every single subtlety and what I notice with people is that when they, let's say they focus on that, right? So they focus on getting in touch with that that type of perception. And what happens is that it's usually heart chakra. So the heart chakra opens or that center of receiving awareness opens to a degree where it gets maxed out. And once it gets maxed out, other aspects of you start to open to further perception. And that's when people start to get, you know, the really awesome visions and things like that. So how do we tap more into our emotions? Well, I have this whole video actually on um, YouTube about how to feel. And in that video, what I'm presenting is the fact that, I mean, it's quite simple. You have to set your timer if you've got a real issue with your emotions. you got to set a timer every day at whatever interval seems manageable. Some people do it for 10 minutes, every 10 minutes. Some people do it every hour. Some people do it like five times a day. But you set your timer to go off. When it goes off, you have to do an inventory on what emotion you're feeling. But what people don't get yet and need to is that emotions register in the body as sensations. So, you know, I may describe anxiety, but the question is, what does anxiety feel like in the body? Does it feel like tension? Does it feel like buzzing? If it had a color, what would it be? If it had a shape or a texture, what would it be? So this practice gets you more and more and more in touch. And in this practice, you know, you have to write it down every time. So it's like you're becoming more and more and more and more aware. When you start doing that, so you take this inventory on your emotions, emotions will cease to be mute and instead they become very intense. So the way I like to describe this is like in the beginning of learning how to surf, it's very difficult to feel the differences in water underneath the surfboard. You're just sort of confused as to why certain things are happening. But the better you get at it, the more you can sort of feel the way the water is under the surfboard and adjust accordingly. And that's exactly how it is when we turn into emotions. The more we do it, the easier it gets for us to go underneath it to whatever message, personal truth, that that emotion is trying to convey. That's my argument. Underneath every single emotion is a personal truth. So we start to access that emotional truth that's underneath the emotion. And based off of the awareness of that personal truth, we're able to make adjustments in our life. And when we start to flow in the direction of that, so we're making these adjustments, making these adjustments and becoming more and more and more aware, it's impossible for awareness not to increase and increase and increase and increase and increase. So it will be impossible for somebody to be limited to your physical time-space reality if they're on the path of awareness. It is an inevitable thing that that these centers for perceiving, let's call it, multi-dimensional realities will become more and more and more and more intensified. There's
0: so much suffering in the world at the moment and so much suppression of our emotions. You know, I look at, you know, my parents' generation and they had that attitude, you know, you pick your socks up and you forge forward, you know, you sweep your emotions under the carpet. Mm
1: -hmm. And now we have cancer and now we're getting heart defects and now... Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm that's what's happening i mean that 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 generation is going you know to hell in a handbasket physically because whatever when you ignore your emotions it will get bigger until eventually the physical Mm -hmm. body is incapacitated by what the emotional body is creating so yes i mean i completely i mean totally in agreement it's insane Mm -hmm. you know how how much we are trained against our emotions
0: Totally. This is something that I've really had to learn because that was the schooling that I got growing up Mm -hmm. was, you know, big girls don't cry and pick your socks up and forge forward and sweep your emotions under the carpet. And it's something that I've really been mindful of on my spiritual journey is really allowing myself to feel those emotions. And I visualize them like waves. Mm -hmm. You know, you use the surfing analogy and allowing, you know, whatever sensation it is in my body to wash over me like a wave. Because in the past I I would have suppressed it or run away from it. Oh my God, don't want to feel it. Too scary, too scary, too scary. Mm-hmm. Push it down, suppress it. Where now it's like, it's they're all just feelings. They're all just sensations in the body. And what does that feel like? Does that feel tight? Does that feel constricted? Does that feel dark, heavy? Exactly what you said before, you know, that's what I do. I describe it and I and I really allow myself to fully feel it because that's when we can, you know, let it wash over us and let it go. But what happens if we don't? What happens if we don't feel our emotions and feelings and we just continue to suppress them?
1: Oh my god, I, I this is like a book I could write on this topic. I like I didn't I mean the answer is so <laughs> huge. I mean it's down to what I said before, where if it's not going to be paid attention to on the emotional or mental level, then it will become a physical issue. And most people aren't recognizing that about chronic ailments, but it's the reason that we have such a poor track record of healing anything except for acute injury in the mainstream medical field. We don't know what the hell to do with chronic illness because we don't understand that what's causing chronic illness is these emotional and mental states that we haven't done anything with. And so they've intensified and then magnified throughout the body. So that's one thing. You want to die of cancer? Go ahead, press your emotions. Another thing that it does with our lives is that we cannot make a single decision that is actually in alignment with our authentic truth. And the amount of damage you can do when you make your decisions based off of not your own authentic truth, I can't even freaking tell you. So like, let's say that you're, you're little, you're taught to ignore your emotional guidance system, and so you do things because you should. You're doing them out of the reason that you think that it's actually going to feel better to comply to societal expectations. So let's say you've got a, a guy who doesn't really want to get married, but thinks that marriage is the right thing to do. So that's an inauthentic, it's not true to who he is, but he makes the decision, gets into a marriage. He's in that marriage for 15 years. Now he's 40. He realizes, crap, this is not really in alignment with who I am. Now he, you know, goes off and has an affair. It ruins the marriage, destroys his kids' lives. So almost everything you look at in the world today is the result of suppressing emotion. I mean, same thing with our, you know, the people who shoot up schools. It's the same thing. You've got a person who's in acute amounts of emotional pain. Nobody is noticing. They don't know how to deal with it themselves. They try to suppress it or try to escape out of it. You know, for for somebody who's wanting to shoot up a school, picking up a copy of the anarchist cookbook is a way to feel relief. So they're sort of grasping at that or grasping at drugs to try to feel better as opposed to stay in their emotions. And then eventually the emotion erupts because that's what happens with suppression. When we suppress something, we're actually feeding it with energy and we're feeding it with energy into sort of like a tank. And there is a point at which that explodes, at which point we take gun, shoot at the school. So like an addiction, I just mentioned that. So that's another application. I am not paying attention to the emotions. I'm not dealing with the emotions. I don't know what to do with them. I'm feeling lonely, but I don't know why. It's basically just confusion around the emotional state. I want to escape from it. And so I'm going to inject heroin. I mean, so many of the problems that you see in the world today are a result of this. It's our improper dealing with emotions. That's why I'm calling this the age of emotional unenlightenment. We're basically in the emotional dark age.
0: Mm, So true. So what are some steps for someone who might be listening and they realize that maybe they are suppressing some emotions and they've got some stuff bubbling away there, but it feels so scary to even look at? Like, what are some steps that people can take to start feeling these emotions and releasing them
1: the first thing that i would say to people who are terrified in that position is you can always go back to doing what you've always done i mean <laughs> it's very simple if you you've got plenty of techniques to escape out of emotion so it's almost like all of us most of us by the time that we get to this phase in our awakening process we already know how to escape out of emotions so use that as your safety net you know use the fact that you could just go turn on the television and distract yourself as your safety net. Now that you've got that as a backup, you can focus on learning to be a little bit uncomfortable. So the first practices that I would do is whenever you feel an intense emotion, find a chair to sit down in, close your eyes, and go towards the emotion instead. So it's almost like you're inviting it to take over your body. It's almost like a complete surrender. So instead of fighting it or arguing with it, you may feel your fear going into it. But you let the sensations take over your whole body. It's what you were describing. It's the same kind of energy as if we're in an ocean wave and you completely lay back and let your whole body go loose and let the wave push you wherever it wants to. We're going to start doing that with emotions over and over again so we start to see that we have the capacity to actually hold space for our own emotions. And after we do that for a while, I mean, these things have to be a practice for a while so that we're no longer in resistance when we feel them after that is is a process that you do you can start to actually question the emotions so once you have let them wash over you you're asking the question when did this emotion first arise you know if this emotion had a message for me what a message would it be it's almost like looking at what personal truth is underneath that emotion and based off of noticing those thoughts that are actually underneath that particular emotion then you have the key to Maybe positive changes you have to make, steps you need to to take, or else you are becoming aware of something you weren't aware of in yourself before. I would also encourage you know, people who can be present with you through the emotions. That's one of the most powerful things we can do. If you can get with somebody who can hold space for emotions, meaning they're not going to invalidate you when you feel it, when they're going to actually encourage the emotional state, it, we actually give ourselves more of a permission state to feel it. So I feel like this unconditional presence that we can give people in the state of emotion is one of the best ways to get people through it. So like if you're feeling grief, for example, I'd sit down with you and instead of being like, you know, you just need to think about it differently. You need to think about it positively. That's me actually requiring you to get out of the emotion. I'm actually validating the way that you feel. It makes perfect sense to feel that way. And I'm almost walking you through the process of becoming aware of your emotion and seeing that there's something valid in the emotion and embracing the emotion instead of rejecting it.
0: And I think one of the key things that we need to remember is like when these emotions come up, Is that is a perfect example for our inner critic, our inner mean girl, our ego, whatever you want to call it, to jump in and run with the story, like attached to the story. Or will you feel like that because of that? When this is not what you're saying, you're saying, you know, we allow the emotion to be there. We don't run off with the story and we just stay present with the feeling and the emotion and allow that to wash over us. And I think as well, what you said, Finding someone who can hold space for you is so important. Like, I have three spiritual mentors, teachers, whatever you want to call them, that are on speed dial for me. You know, I know that if I've got something that's come up, I can call them or I can go have a session with them and they can hold space for me whilst I, you know, feel that emotion and and allow it to wash over me. So, where can people find someone who can hold space for them?
1: gosh well me i've actually created an entire group like an online forum which is like an online intentional community specifically for this purpose i called them teal tribe but i couldn't really find this out there in my own life so this way i had to create this finding people who are into this kind of idea i mean you're really gonna have to find people who align or are already currently speaking the concepts of embracing emotions instead of resisting emotions or trying to emotionally bypass so obviously you know if somebody follows a teacher like me it's obvious that other people who follow teachers like me are going to subscribe to the same philosophies. And that's usually a pretty good bet. You know, people like that doesn't matter whether it's me or other spiritual teachers, people who follow those types of teachers are tend going to be tending to subscribe to that same philosophy and therefore will probably be a way better space to hold your emotions than going home to dear old mom. Who's going to invalidate the crap out of whatever you're feeling. So, (laughs) but I had something to add though. I actually love the inner critic. I absolutely love the inner critic. I am in love affair with it actually, because what most people don't recognize about the inner critic is that it's not against you in any way, shape, or form. And when you start to really hack into the messages underneath the emotion, that's what you find if you can read between the lines, because the inner critic is desperate to try to get you to change, to be loved in a certain way. So your inner critic is the one that actually holds the key to what you value the most. And what it's expressing to you is the terror that it is making it inauthentic. I feel like even when you are attuning to the story underneath the emotions, even the awareness of that story, if you can remove yourself, so it's, a, it's not about if, is it true, it's about this is valid. That's a very good distinction for people to make. If I look at, at the story that is underneath the emotions in terms of is it valid, now I'm looking at that story and and what the hidden message is in that story. So if I've got a part of me, for example, that's saying, oh, you're just too out there. You're telling, you're telling people too much. They're not ready for it. You're just ridiculous. People are going to hate you. The m- hidden message under that is I'm terrified to be rejected. So, obviously, one of my key values is to be accepted. Now, just by realizing that I am desiring to be accepted right now and I'm scared of being rejected, if I sit with that personal truth, the emotion subsides.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful stuff. But so often, you know, we, a lot of people don't take the time to just sit and unpack that like you just did, which is so powerful. And, you know, I use my inner critic as, almost like a compass back to my my true path mm-hmm. and that's how we can use it you know we got to unpack this we got to take the time and this is why taking time each day to sit and just close your eyes mm-hmm. and whip out your journal if you need to and just go inward and unpack whatever is going on for you i think a lot of people feel like they're broken if they have these emotions
1: mm-hmm. are we broken no. Oh, okay. Ooh, personal anger. I, it drives me nuts. <laughs> this philosophy that you're somehow broken if you have negative emotion is so screwed up. It's like mm. we are growing up in this age right now where there's this expectation that you're happy. And if you're not happy, you've somehow failed. Mm. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. And so much pressure. Yeah, it's so much pressure. And it's, it's totally, it makes no sense too, because if emotions are a compass, Being like, oh, you failed if the compass is pointing south is like, well, that's interesting because when you turn south, it just points south. It's not a failure, it's just you turn south. Like, it's that simple. You can't cut off that entire section of your emotional guidance system. You can't just cut off a half of your compass, which is what people are trying to do when they're all like positively focused. But most people really don't get that. Our obsessive positive focus is actually one of the biggest tools of our own resistance today. And we don't think about it that way because we just think about, oh, resistance is all about negativity. Actually, one of the greatest forms of resistance is your constant positive focus. It's that you're trying to do that to escape from something else. So it's not actually in its pure form. And I'm watching that hugely with what you just said, you know, this concept that there's something sad, broken, not okay about negative emotional states.
0: Mm, So true. I was just reflecting back on, you know, me and my journey. And there's definitely been times where I have absolutely felt broken from having these emotions come up. And yeah, now I have the awareness and I realize that it's all part of the process. And I'm not broken. And neither is anyone listening. No one listening to this is broken. We are all on our own journey. And, you know, I love this concept of just sitting feeling, allowing it to wash over you, almost by being a little bit of a detective Mm -hmm. and going, okay, well, what what does that feel like for me? How does that feel in my body? What does that mean for me? What's the deeper truth? Like you said before, that deeper truth is, you know, I don't want to be rejected. And unpacking it for yourself, I think that's really powerful and a great practice that we could all get into each day.
1: Me too. You want me to elaborate on something that I think will help people here?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay, so what what we're getting into with people who make us feel broken for having emotions is actually shame deflection. So what people are actually meaning when they turn against your emotions is I don't feel good with my own emotions. When you feel something, it makes me feel something and I'm not okay with feeling something, so you're wrong for feeling something. That's what it is. And with shame Mm -hmm. deflection, we get into a sort of ping pong match, right? Where we actually feel insecure but we don't want to face the fact that we feel the insecurity. So we make it the other person's problem. And then it becomes like this defense back and forth type of a thing. A typical argument looks like a ping pong match of shame deflection. So this is what has happened with emotions. So next time somebody shames you for your emotions, just remember, it's not you that has a problem with not feeling. It's that person that has a problem with not feeling. And when you feel, they feel. Wow. That's so powerful.
0: Now, a lot of people like yourself have experienced this childhood abuse, either physically or emotionally, which you touched on before. And this trauma, if not released, could really be holding us back. Mm-hmm. So, how do we heal childhood trauma and our inner child? Like, this is something that's really come up a lot lately mm-hmm. in the spiritual world. But, how do we heal this childhood trauma and our inner child? Where do we start?
1: I created a whole process for this. I called it the completion process. I actually didn't have the answer to that when I first got away. That's part of also part of what got me back into this type of spiritual work because nobody had the answer, so I kind of had to go outside this dimension for the answers if you catch my drift. What we need to do actually is to to go back to the moment of trauma now when we're feeling triggered, most of us who've gone through trauma, that's what we're dealing with in our adult life. It's what's making everything difficult is that we have a trigger. now a trigger is nothing but an emotional flashback, just like a just like a you know we think about a visual flashback like a guy who goes to war comes back and he's got images of war constantly in his mind that's a visual flashback a trigger is an emotional flashback if we look at at things through the lens of your body never actually is against you and only ever does something in your best interests then what is the purpose of the flashback obviously it's to try to get your attention back towards something that is unresolved so our answer about how to resolve it is to go in the alignment of what your body is asking you to do, and instead of try to get out of the trigger, go into the trigger. So this process that I created is developed that when you feel the trigger, you go into it almost like a wormhole opens up every time you feel that trigger, where you can go back to the original memory that is causing all of this issues. And By the way, before you do this process, you don't actually need to know these memories, because the visual aspect gets filled in with you following the emotional aspect of memory, which is what that that trigger is. And based off of re-experiencing, but with your free will, that original traumatic experience, you can actually redo the entire thing. So you can create resolve within your own mind and within your own emotional body. And that trickles down to a shift in your physical body even. So I used to be in a position where I would hemorrhage actually every month, and I was able to completely get rid of it. So it's not just like Mental and emotional triggers that start to be abated by this type of a process. You also have a lot greater awareness, shall I say, of what you actually needed in order to heal. And healing, of course, we overcomplicate this concept. To heal is to experience the opposite. It's literally that simple. So if I experience loneliness, to heal is to experience companionship. If I experience powerlessness, to heal is empowerment. So what we're going for when we're trying to create resolve is to experience the opposite of whatever we experienced. I mean, the same thing kind of applies where if you've you've got trauma around sharks, to heal is to experience positive feeling states with sharks. So this is what we're headed towards doing in order to resolve trauma. And it's actually a lot, I mean, I don't want to say it's easy because it's very difficult, obviously, on an emotional level to revisit these traumatic memories. But by revisiting them, they don't crop up again. They don't control your life the way that they did. And it's easier than people think in that all people can do this this work in this process what if you don't know what the situation was like what if you you can't remember or you you don't know Well, that's like why i did this process because most people so let me explain memory when you go through a trauma memory is stored in a fragmented way fragmentation is actually the primary coping mechanism of a physical human and so we we fragment in terms of our personality we fragment in terms of our consciousness and memory fragments as well so we store we store the visual aspect of memory separate from the emotional aspect of memory, separate from the auditory aspect of memory. Usually, a person's emotional memory is stored the closest to the conscious mind, which is why we tend to get triggers, but with no context. This is why so many people have been through trauma. It's like they're walking around like an emotional landmine. You know, the example that I like giving is almost that I like giving a lot is that you've got a girl who's walking down a deodorant aisle, and she has no conscious awareness of why she's suddenly having a panic attack. Now we, you know, from a higher perspective may know that the deodorant she just passed was worn by the man that abused her, but she doesn't have that sort of visual aspect of memory. She just has the emotional aspect of memory. So when she smells the smell, it kicks off that emotion. She has no idea what memory is linked to. This, I created this process specifically because that's how, how trauma is stored. People don't need to know what anything comes from in order to do this, because what we're working with is the, the trigger in the current moment. If you get a strong emotion, it links back to the other aspects of memory. So by, by using the emotional aspect of memory to go back in time, the let's say the auditory aspect fills back in and so does the visual aspect fill back in and we gain full awareness of that original event that we have suppressed.
0: And what a lot of us do is when we have these triggers come up, we point the finger and blame the other person. Well, you did this to me. But every time we point that finger, there's three fingers pointing straight back at us. And I know, you know, from me in the past, that's what I would do. I would have a trigger come up and I'm like, well, you didn't do this or this is your fault when really it's an opportunity for me to dive into it.
1: Oh, yeah. And I I would love that people started to approach their triggers that way. But most people get really confused with things like that because they assume that it's not okay to have any problems with somebody. But what happens when you go into the trigger first, this is why I'm encouraging people to do that first, is that after you go through the whole trigger, you're aware of what it comes from and you start to create resolution and gain access to your needs. What you come back with is your personal truth that you can then communicate in a strong way. So sometimes you go back into a trigger that's the result of interacting with some person, whatever they're doing, and based off of the resolution process you go through with that, you come back and you're like, oh, it's really not an issue, that was all me. Other times you come back and instead of it being, oh, it's your fault, you're screwed, you come back with a strong personal boundary. And a personal boundary is nothing but a strong sense of self. So you may come back and say, okay, well, my truth is, is that I don't want to stay around people who talk to me in that manner of fashion. So is there a different way that we can arrange this? Because that's a no for me. So it's it's not like, you know, some people who are like in the codependent pattern, they hear, you know, people like you and me say things like that about you got to go into your trigger and it's about you and they basically stay in abusive relationships based off of the idea that if you're ever feeling bad, it's always you, you know? So I, I want like, I don't want people to be scared in that way, you know, N- not feeling like, you know, everything really is you and you're totally messed up and go into your trigger and then you won't have a problem with anyone. No, you'll have very clear boundaries about other people is what will happen. So I just wanted to sort of steer clear of that fear that other people have.
0: Yeah. That's, thank you for mentioning that. What would happen if we don't look at these traumas and triggers? What happens?
1: Well, the thing that I'm the most concerned about when we don't look at these traumas and triggers is the fact that we have no idea why the things are happening in our life like they're happening. I mean, I have a real love-hate relationship with the the laws that govern our time-space reality because this universe operates like a 3D mirror. So if we experience something and we don't create resolution with it and we're not conscious of it, it will come up again. I, I call these, um, it's like reflector experiences. So if in my childhood I have an unresolved experience, and, and resolve by the way, means that you've moved into the opposite frequency, as healing. So if I was alone, I have moved into a space of companionship. Most of us, we haven't experienced the opposite. So the, so a trauma is not resolved, right? And if a trauma is not resolved, it repeats. Because our being is always going for the resolution and the expansion, and so is the universe at large. So it gets mirrored over and over again. So let's say I get left in my childhood and not resolved, I would line up in an experience where I get abandoned again, and then I get abandoned again, and then I get abandoned again, you know, maybe the first time at 15, second time at 20, third time at 30. And so what happens is this really obnoxious chain, honestly, of of repeated issues and repeated trauma and re-traumatization. And so a person's life, I mean, I can't tell you how horrible a person's life can be based on not having the awareness of the experience enough to shift that pattern into a space of healing. That's the difference between you living a life that is basically determinism and a life that is consciously chosen. So one is basically a living hell potentially for people, and the other is you consciously choosing a life that feels good. It's just that most of us have no idea we're in the space of determinism because we don't understand how these traumas encoded us and programmed our system. Does that make sense? Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is so powerful. So powerful. I'm just thinking back. I was reflecting back on triggers that I've had in my life, and it's definitely been when I've not wanted to really look at it, that's when I've felt the most suffering. Yeah. Oh, Oh, gosh, we're crazy, us humans.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, I have infinite sympathy for not wanting to look at your stuff. I mean, it really takes bravery. I think that's part of why I'm so controversial in the world. I am, I'm totally against spiritual Novocaine, like the concept that you just inject good feeling things and that that does anything. So I prefer to take people in the direction of the shadow. So of course they're going to resist like crazy. And I understand the resistance it's in order to awaken. You got to be willing to be super uncomfortable. And this is not what most people are looking for. They're looking for relief, you know? So I I understand it. It's almost like walking into a hospital and being like, I want to feel better. And the doctor's like, well, you're going to feel a whole lot worse first. Like who's going to sign up for that? You know? Yeah. Willingly put their hand up and go, okay, let's do it. Yeah. It's like you have to get desperate. That's what it sort of feels like. You have to get to a point where you're so desperate that you're so willing to do that, you know? Mm. Mm. The
0: pain's obviously not bad enough yet. Uh, yeah. So it would seem. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, This has been so great. Really, really powerful stuff. I would love to shift gears a little bit more and just turn the spotlight on you and learn a little bit more about you. I'd love to hear what's bringing you the most joy in your life right now.
1: Right now? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm actually in a place where I'm more stable than I have been. And so I'm really enjoying kind of like the mundane things that I'm doing in my life. I mean, I don't get much of a chance because I got so many interviews and things to do, but I'm just loving spending time in the kitchen. I'm an obsessive cook. I'm absolutely in love with it. And it's one of my primary ways to connect with people. So I've been trying out all kinds of different recipes and because it's fall time you've got the best ingredients. I love fall time foods. So I've been using all of these amazing ingredients to make awesome stuff like that. The other thing that's making me happy as a clam is the prospect that once I'm done releasing this new book that I've got, that's coming out November 6th, I'm going to start on the novel that I have been, I'm actually three chapters into it already, but I've been wanting to write it forever because it's such a big deal and I get to focus on that. So that's my joy.
0: Mm, Awesome. What are you working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment?
1: You know, for me right now, I have such a huge group that's against me. I'm actually now the most controversial person in the spiritual field. It's bad enough that I'm getting kicked out of events and, you know, people are like sponsors are threatening to drop me or drop whole whole events if I show up. And I mean, I'm I'm actually getting hit with a level of antagonism that is absolutely unheard of in this business. And so for me, what I'm personally working on is like, you know, obviously everything mirrors. So what I'm working on is how am I, I a match to this? How do I take the people who are hating me as part of me? Because my principal teaching is integration, right? So the people, the very same people who are standing outside of my events, picketing and things like that, they are a part of me. Now, how do I find that part within me and treat them as if they're a part of myself? And once I do that, how do I react? And it is a really intense challenge to take on. I mean, it's one thing to sort of practice love with the people who are loving you. It's a whole other thing to practice love, which is to take something as part of yourself with somebody who is actively in the, you know, the place of hating you and without going into a space of spiritual bypassing, you know, I want it to be genuine. I don't want it to be like, well, spiritual teachers who are enlightened always have positive emotions towards everyone, even if you're getting smacked in the face. The reality is I don't have positive emotions towards them. So how do I work with those positive emotions so as to to not split myself and at the same time take them as part of me? And it's it's really challenging. Like, I think I'm going to be working on this for a while. I mean, I could be surprised. I could wake up tomorrow in a different state. But this is my main focus.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that.
1: What do you think it is that they are resisting? Oh my God. I mean, you know, I keep figuring it out and then feeling like I don't have it figured out. I, <laughs> I really don't understand what makes me upset people so much, you know, to this degree. But I do know that I, I don't believe in spiritual Novocaine. So I'm the kind of person who, you know, is really subversive. Because when somebody comes to me, I'm not just going to be blowing them up, you know, with feel-good information. I'm also going to be calling them on their deepest, darkest, most vulnerable shadows, which makes me the single biggest threat to the human ego human the human ego has one enemy and it's shame. The human ego has to see itself as good. So if I say or do anything that pushes somebody into a space of shame, the ego is likely to deflect it and then make me the problem. And I'm so I'm in very slippery territory, being kind of like, you know, the shadow worker in the world today. I'm in very slippery territory with the human ego itself based on how often I'm going to be triggering it. Hmm.
0: Well, I think the work that you're doing really matters. It's very
1: important and keep doing it. Please don't stop. (laughs) I also think that my image doesn't help much. You know, I I don't look like the package that spiritual information is supposed to come from. I don't like spend my time in flowing robes. I tend to wear high heels most of the time. (laughs) You know, I look like somebody that would come off of a Vogue magazine more so than I look like a spiritual teacher. And I feel like there's a lot of stigmas that we have around that and also, you know, the sexism thing. I get it in this business all the time where it's like, you know, if I was like Amma and I was hugging people all day long, that's acceptable. But as an intellectual, it's really threatening, I feel like, to people for, for there to be a female intellectual in the field. So I don't know. It's a lot of things. <laughs> mm.
0: Well, let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books and your new book that's coming out, what's one book? What is one book that you would choose?
1: Oh my gosh. Oh no. I, this is the coolest question. You know, one of the books that I loved, if you, if you want to go like a book that I, I don't know that I put it in high school, but I, I love this book that's called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. It wouldn't apply to a high schooler like in any way, shape or form, but I really liked that book a lot. That was one that, that impacted me because it sort of gave me permission to not act the spiritual part, you know? Hmm.
0: I haven't heard of it. I'm going to, we'll link to it in the show notes so everyone can go and check it out. But that sounds interesting. And we'll link to your books, of course, in the show notes as well. So for anyone who wants to grab those, they can definitely go and check that out. Now, I'd love to hear, us humans are fascinated with how other humans live and work. I'd love to hear your morning routine and how your day unfolds. Do you have a specific
1: morning routine that you do each day? No, I am like way more at the mercy of my currents. (laughs) I play my life according to how I feel. In fact, one of my biggest frustrations with how big my career has gotten is that there's been like this flip that happened where in the beginning it was I would create according to however I wanted to do things and then people would do stuff with that. But when you get bigger and bigger, now suddenly you're being solicited for things that are such a big opportunity that you're sort of doing them because you shouldn't have to. I hate living that way. I can't do the routine type of thing because I'm you know, I'm so honoring the fact that within my being, there's, there's so many different currents of energy that take place that one morning I'll wake up at a certain time. One morning it'll be at a different time. One morning I'll feel like the first thing I want to do is get in water. The next it'll be, I want to go on a run. So what I try to do to as much commitment as I possibly can is to live in accordance with those that flow. So it's almost like I'm in a, an ongoing working relationship with myself every day. And my emotions every day, and the way—not just my emotions—the way my body feels, the way my mind is is moving, and also the people around me. So, based off of all those influences, it's like I'm reading them and acting accordingly. And my life has gone incredibly since I did this. You know, and I'm the opposite of this. I'm a very, very self-disciplined person. So I'm the kind of person where if I was like I'm waking up and running for two hours every day, I would do that. But for me personally, this has been the much better practice and a more difficult practice, actually, because it would be much easier for me to put myself on such a harsh regimen. It's just for me personally, that might be perfect for somebody to do, actually, and perfectly in alignment with their expansion path. But for me, I'd already mastered that form of expansion. And now it was sort of like, Teal, let's be in a relationship with your more subtle energies. Let's not bulldoze, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. It's so interesting that you say that because, you know, for me, that's definitely been the case. You know, when I first started this journey, that regimented structure and routine was really supportive for me at that time in my life yeah. and now i'm kind of shifting into a phase where it's very much intuition and flow and waking up and i still do my things you know i still meditate every day and i do some movement but it's not so rigid and structured and forced it's more flexible and fluid and i follow my intuition and my flow and It's so, that's, that's my lesson right now as well. That's what I need to do is to soften and to lean into that as opposed to I've got to do this and then this and then this almost like so structured and regimented. Oh, totally.
1: And I cannot tell you when I made that shift, I can't tell you how good that was for my own femininity. And even like the aspects of my physical body that are feminine, like even my monthly cycles got so much better once I started living that way. It was crazy. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. That's so powerful. And I feel like we split our time between two different states and when I'm in where I'm at now, which is in the country and it's we're on 30 acres and it's just so beautiful in nature and healing and just so divine and then our other home is in a city, it's really interesting even how I show up differently each day. Like my energy shifts so, so much. You know, I wake up and I feel like my morning or even my day, but specifically my morning is so expansive and I have all the time in the world and I can take a 30-minute Epsom salt bath if I want to. And it's so interesting then back in the city, I notice myself slip into that go, 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 rush, rush, rush. And it's just really interesting to notice that and become aware of that. And then when I'm in the city, bring that flow and awareness Mm -hmm. and that softness into that space, you know, that for me is is my homework.
1: Yeah, that def- that's a good homework. I have a hard time with that too. There's so many more influences on you know, your natural currents when you're definitely around more people. And more Wi-Fi. Yeah, yes, I know. Oh, don't even get me started on
0: that one. <laughs> into- I know, I know. I'd love to hear now, beautiful, what are three things you're most recently grateful for?
1: I'm really super grateful that I have an incredible team. Like right now, we recently parred my team down into the team of people that are basically working with me in the career and in this mission and everything. I've got a fairly large team, and but we pared down to the bare minimum, you know, people who are really wanting to be committed. And so I feel like right now I have got a team of individuals that is like, I would die if they died, you know, it's that level of commitment. Mm. And I just like every day, I, I bought a round table that I sort of wanted to, to mimic the the nights of the round table. I just like the idea of a round type of a setting cuz nobody's at the head and whatever so all of us we get our computers we sit down at this round table and we work throughout the day together and it feels like the starship enterprise I always said that when I started my company the one the thing that I wanted to model it after was the starship enterprise cuz it's like you're all in this mission and you're in there together and it's like you're you've got close relationships with these people you're not just working together cuz you don't go home at night you know we live together so we're we're brothers we're sisters we're best friends we're colleagues and it feels like together we're working towards something so powerfully right now that i don't really feel anybody pulling their energy away from it or like anybody wants to be somewhere different so that's the primary thing i'm the most grateful for um second thing i'm the most grateful for is that you know my son who's nine just developed his first crush actually a little girl oh my gosh yeah. and so I'm watching him it, I mean it's so beautiful to watch him get into this phase where he's starting to feel the excitement of that type of connection here where he, he sort of goes red in the cheeks and goes totally silent and like wants to point her out from a distance and is making presents to bring to her at school and just to see that in a sense of connection that is completely untainted by the pain that is involved with so many connections that's the second thing I'm most grateful for And I think the next thing that I'm the most grateful for is writing. You know, I just, there's something that happens when I put a pen to paper. It's like, at that minute, I can release everything. And at the same time, I can organize my thoughts in a way where I feel completely and totally in alignment. Like there's nothing else that I do, even cooking, which is saying something where I feel so just who I am in the most raw and and like pure sense of the word. So those are the three things I'm the most grateful for.
0: Beautiful. And do you just have one son?
1: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm, Gorgeous. What's his name? Winter. Oh, so cute.
1: So cute.
0: Okay, I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Hope I do a better one on this than I did the last one. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health?
1: Follow your emotions. Yeah. I feel like I'm harping on this. No, it's it's important. The most important thing to do for our health is to notice our emotions when they occur, hear the message underneath the emotions, and act according to whatever awareness we gain having listened to those emotions. Single most important thing you'll do for your health. Yeah, absolutely agree.
0: What is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more
1: abundance in all areas of our life. You know, I think it's authentically doing something that brings you joy. It is not possible for your purpose to be separate from your joy. And so I think that one of the biggest barriers to success and to wealth is that we go for the extrinsic reward of money when genuine wealth comes as a result of following your intrinsic motivation towards whatever you love doing every day. And the people who I have met around this planet, I mean, unanimously, who are the happiest and wealth for me is not just money. I mean, money does absolutely come along with this type of methodology, but genuine wealth is more than just money. Wealth is like a state of life. It is a state of being, and it's a state of abundance in terms of all things, not just finances, relationships as well. The people who are in that true abundance state are the people who really live according to their joy, and it takes bravery. You know, They're the people who quit their 9-to-5 job if they hate their 9-to-5 job, or have a 9-to-5 job if it's the one that they love, but they love it. and so these are the people where they would be doing this type of work regardless of whether they didn't get paid any money or regardless of whether they were given five million dollars today so they tend to be in such an open state and when you're in such an open state meaning that all of your when you see a person in that flow state basically where they've chosen in alignment with their authentic truth and their joy what you notice is that all the the chakras in their body are completely open and they're in alignment with their own source stream so they're getting fed with like. Four hundred times the, the energy that the majority of people are, and that is what a true abundance comes from. It's like when we're in a space of complete receptivity instead of resistance.
0: Mm, absolutely, thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful. And the last one is: what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life?
1: My answer is going to be counterintuitive. To love is to take something as part of yourself. It is that simple. Sometimes it's easier to do that when you feel positive towards something else. But we can't be in a state of love and push something away from us. So what we have to do is is to quit pushing things away from ourselves, and that includes parts within us. So to what we can do for more and more, more love is to notice the aspects of ourselves first, then we can work on the outside world, notice the aspects of ourselves that we are pushing away. And instead of pushing those aspects away from us, we bring them closer we try to understand them and we meet the needs based on the understanding of them so for example if i am rejecting my own anger i'm actually not loving a part of myself so if i bring that anger closer to myself i'm recognizing it as a part of me and therefore it has valid needs and valid wants i'm trying to understand what message that that anger is trying to convey and based off of hearing that message i now take steps in my life that are in the direction of my best interests And the best interests of that aspect. Because best interests are inherent in love. If I include something as part of me, its best interests are part of my best interests now. So, I mean, it's interesting for us to think of ourselves in this way. But if I'm thinking in terms of the best interests of the part of me that's angry, the anger will subside, but I will come into more harmony with myself. Mm. And then in the external reality, I'm no longer a match to the external reflection, which I then also push away.
0: Yep. And that's what we all want is that that harmony within ourselves. Yes. So badly. Yeah. This has been so beautiful to connect with you and to hear your wisdom. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any parting words of wisdom? Anything else that you'd like to share with my tribe?
1: Yeah. What I'd like to share is that right, right now, a lot of people on the globe are kind of feeling discouraged a bit because most people's lives are kind of falling apart in one way or another. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but we are actually in a whole phase right now this year specifically of coming into a state of stability. And obviously people will be confused then. They look at me and they're like, wait, what do you mean though? Because like, obviously everything's unstable. So how could, could this year be about the theme of stability? What's happening is that everything that was unstable or built on a crap foundation is going to be falling down. So let's say that Let's say that the reasons that you got into a specific relationship aren't really stable reasons or aren't really reasons that are true to your being or to your own personal growth. It's, chances are that that relationship's going to fail this year. And same goes for careers you've chosen, life paths that you've committed to. And so when you're in this process of developing something stable, everything that is unstable has to fall. And a lot of people are in that process. So what I would leave with you is that if, if a lot of people are in that phase, know that it's a part of you actually getting to a place that is completely stable. And that pretty much everybody is in the same boat this year. And not to be discouraged, because if you will just follow your emotions towards what your actual authentic truth is, you actually have the capacity this year to build something that is lasting, which is what you've been asking for. You know, you've know, you been asking for the purpose that sticks. You've been asking for the relationship that's Genuinely, a feel good relationship and isn't going to go anywhere. You've been asking for the career that's stable and is going to be there. So, you know, the opportunity is definitely there, but that's sort of my parting words of wisdom.
0: Thank you. That's really powerful. And, you know, it has felt for a lot of people like this spiritual washing machine this year. Yes. <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and yeah. I love that, you know, it, it is. Falling away, creating these new foundations in which are going to set you up. so I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And something that I'm really passionate about is is being of service and helping others. It really lights me up. it it you know makes my cells dance. So how can I and the listeners serve you today?
1: Well, I think. Right now, I am super interested in getting awareness out around this concept of loneliness. That's why I wrote this recent book. And what I'm trying to do is to create, basically turn this book into a New York Times bestseller. Because when you do that, suddenly the news channels that wouldn't have an interest do have an interest. And what I'm needing to do is to get on those types of more mainstream forums in order to be raising this as a social issue loneliness, if you look at it, is actually what's underneath addictions. It's what's underneath every crime ever committed. And it is the social epidemic in our world today. It doesn't matter what country I've gone to, what continent I land on, every person I talk to reports the same thing, which is the sensation of loneliness. And this is not loneliness that can be resolved by being in the room with another person.
0: Thank you for this interview. It's just been so great to connect with you and to feel your energy. You're a really beautiful human being. You are so, so light and you've got such a big open heart and it's been absolutely amazing and such a pleasure to have this time to connect with you. So I'm so grateful and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I loved today's episode, especially all of the stuff on triggers and I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Teal and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash one five five. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I head off is if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And you can also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave your review now. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, healthiest, happiest, and shiniest version of yourself. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this particular episode,